Good evening. Good to see you here tonight. I'll turn that off. It's probably glaring off of my mask. Uh, it's good to be with you again and in Philippians chapter 4. Last week we considered that one important way of overcoming anxiety is to be praying about everything. Philippians chapter 4, King James says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And then the promise is, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Today we're going to be looking at still another important factor in having hearts that are free from anxiety, worry, and even restlessness or disquietness. And that is that we need to be guarding our thoughts. One truth that is recognized by both the believing and non-believing communities is that our thoughts are powerful. Proverbs 23, 7 states, For as he thinketh in his heart, so man is he. What we contemplate, dwell upon, daydream, concerning or fantasize about, or things that we aspire to or desire, all of this is extremely important and will, in many ways, dictate our attitudes towards life. In the verse of scripture that we're going to meditate upon this evening, we find that there are types of things that we should be thinking about. If you notice in the ESV, in chapter 4, verse 8, the closing statement is, think about these things. The NAS says, let your mind dwell on these things. On these things. So the theme for tonight is what are the kinds of things that we should be thinking about in order that we might live more worry-free lives. In this verse of verse 8 of chapter 4, there are eight categories given to us, each of which is extremely broad, most of which we are introduced by the word whatever. So what we want to keep in mind is that these eight things that we're going to be describing tonight are categories. More than just specific listing of very detailed things, these are, as I say, categories, very broad ways of talking about a variety of things that we should uh, be thinking about. The first is that in order to experience God's peace, we must think about things in a way that corresponds to reality. If you notice in verse 8, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, true, uh, true is speaking of those things which correspond to reality, the way things really are. Truth is used here is that which corresponds to reality, to that which is imaginary or false or a misrepresentation of the way things 
really are. Truth is that which has really actually happened. Worry and anxiety many times, rather than focusing upon what is true, has a tendency to look at things in a way in which we project how things are going to turn out. Uh, we come up with formula in our minds of, if I do this, then this is going to happen. And we wander down a pathway that uh, isn't filled with truth. Uh, you know, many times even people have an argument with their spouse and get in a mad mood before they get home because they begin to think in their mind of something that uh, is unpleasant or they have to bring something up and they say to themselves, if I say this, then they're going to say that, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that, and before you know it, you're out of sorts before you even had the conversation with the individual. Well, here we find out we're to limit ourselves to thinking about things that are true, not mischaracterize people, words, actions, and motives. Satan, of course, is the great deceiver. Scripture says that he's the father of lies. So we have to be careful about thinking about things the way they really are. Uh, certainly we hear a lot in the news that gets people upset and perhaps you're bothered. But so much of what we hear in the news does not correspond to reality. It's not true. It's not objectively what has happened. People put spin on things. And that is going to lead to disquietness. That is going to lead to people being upset. That's going to lead to division and all these other things. So truth is extremely important. If we fail to do this, that is, think about things that are true, we will replace God's peace with that which is ingenuous and we will soon be dissatisfied. We need to be discerning so as not to believe lies and to have faith in that which will disappoint. Otherwise, we will not know peace but unrest. The second category is that to experience peace, we need to set our minds on things which are the worthy of imitation. That's found in the phrase in verse 8 of whatever is honorable. Honorable here is the word to be noble or to be held in esteem. That which is high, above, or superior to other things. So we are to be thinking about people and things that are worthy of honor, worthy of esteem. So if we're going to have peace in our lives, it's very important that we establish the right role models, the right heroes, the right advisors, people that we're going to for counsel and for wisdom. Psalm 1 warns uh, not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the one who stands away of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Those aren't the kind of people that we should hold up in regard and seek to imitate. But we need heroes that are worthy of imitation. Paul encourages his readers to follow him. 
In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Again, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, the very next verse, Paul says, Those things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's very important that we have the right role models that are teaching us how to live, and we are seeking to, to do that, and it results in a life of peace. So we're to follow people of integrity, honesty, forthrightness, sincerity, authentic, true in their statements, and consistent in their lifestyle. That's the kind of people that we need to look up to, admire, and seek to aspire to be like. We can make a mess out of our lives if we have the wrong role models. Our worldview has very few heroes any longer. People are becoming extremely cynical and uh, don't have much confidence in anyone that has a place of authority or responsibility. People have been so often disappointed that people are disillusioned. So it's extremely important as to who you are going to seek to follow, to seek to be like. If we fail to do this, that is, if we fail to have the right role models, we replace God's peace with a sense of disillusionment. Third, to experience peace, we need to reflect upon things that are morally right. Morally right. That's what is found in the word just in verse 8. Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, that which is morally right. The idea is that we're to evaluate our conduct, our aspirations, our decisions and judgments and goals in the light of God's word. Is this the way in which God teaches us to live? Again, practicing discernment. For we are filled with people that are walking contrary to the word of God. And we need to be extremely alert today because we find a host of Christians, people who name the name of Christ, but are not walking according to what the scriptures teach as to how we should live how we should practice. So we have to practice discernment and keep going back and ask the question, what does the Bible say? Not just people's opinions, not just what we hear in the news, but what does the Bible say? How are we to live? How are we to conduct our lives and then live moral and righteous lives that are keeping with the word of God? If we don't, do that, we will not be a people of peace, but we'll be a people of relativism. And we'll be constantly asking ourselves, am I doing the right thing? Am I responding in the right way? We will be morally adrift without any real sense of conviction and without any real sense of, again, moral authority in our lives. So if we're going to be people who have peace, we must seek that which is just. And that is what God has declared to be righteous and good. 
<coughs> Fourthly, to experience peace, we need to set our minds on things which are pure. Pure. Verse 8. Purity is in terms of sexual actions and thoughts. That which is untainted by sin. These are things that are free from all debasing elements, clear in nature, transparent in purpose, and leaving no blot on the conscience or stain on the character. So we need to be thinking about things that later we're not feeling guilty about. Later we are not condemning ourselves. We are not flagellating. We, we, we are not beating ourselves up over the kinds of things that we've been seeing, the kinds of things that we've been watching, the kinds of activities that we've been engaged in. So we must guard what we watch, what we think about, so that what is produced are holy desires as opposed to ungodly lusts, which again is going to lead to a lack of peace and instead of peace, we will have shame. We'll have a sense of guilt. We will be hanging our head. We will be self-condemning as we look upon our lives. Fifthly, to experience peace, we need to set our minds on those things which are lovely. Notice verse 8, lovely. Things that are lovely are things that are attractive. Things that are pleasing. These things that are delightful. Lovely are beautiful things. Uh, the opposite would be things which are gory. Things which are horrifying. Those things that unsettle us. Those things that tend to turn us off. We can learn a great deal from children. And one of the things that we can learn is... Just watch young children, their response to so many movies and things that they see on TV. And they often are afraid or cry. It's dissettling. It doesn't give them peace. Well, we talk about growing up, we talk about maturing, and we can handle those things. But in handling those things, really what we're saying is we become callous. We become hardened. We get to the point where those things don't shock us anymore. They don't move us anymore. They, they don't frighten us, nor do they pull at our heartstrings. Nor do we sit and view it and all of a sudden we're just overwhelmed with, with sadness and sorrow to think of life as it's being described and portrayed in what we are watching. And the, the point is that we soon become those kinds of callous and hard people that we no longer become sensitive to the tragedies, to the gross things that people are experiencing. In fact, we might even find it to be amusing or entertaining. Uh, it might be a source of gossip and titillation. We're almost happy that these things have befallen other people. It's quite the opposite of 
meditating upon those things that are, are lovely, those things that are beautiful. We should delight in the things that God delights in. Psalm 37, verse 4. Uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sixthly, to experience peace. We need to set our minds on those things which are well spoken of, where it says whatever is commendable, commendable, that is praiseworthy. The word means that which is worthy or of or brings about a good reputation. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment. That that is more attractive and that is more pleasing. So many times people are concerned about guarding their reputation. But what they're concerned about is not so much what they are inwardly, but how people perceive them. They're not really that concerned about their character, but rather the character that they project, the way that other people view them. So many times people are concerned about people finding out about things that they have done. People will come to me and talk to me and they'll say, you're not going to say anything to anyone, are you? You're not going to let this be known. People are concerned about how others view them. Well, we need to be concerned by a reputation as a matter of truthfulness so that our conduct is really worthy of praise, that our actions are really commendable, that the kind of reputation we want to have is deserved. For inwardly, we know the truth. We know what we really are. We know what we've done. We know what we think. We know what transpires in our lives. So if we do not conduct ourselves in this way, we'll have a sense of guilt. We'll have a sense of shame. We will be dishonoring in our own hearts and minds. Seventhly, to experience peace, we need to set our mind on those things which are virtuous. Virtuous. This comes from the word, if there is any excellence. The word for excellence here has to do with moral virtues, kindness, goodness, generosity, perseverance, courage, strength, fortitude. Virtues are those qualities of character that result in wonderful acts. These are the motivation for good deeds. It is this character that produces a life of sacrifice, a life of perseverance, of hanging in there, of being trusted and being trustworthy, being useful for the Lord's work, to be a benefit and a help to others. If we fail to do that, we are going to be people who are selfish and self-serving. And again, that does not lead to, to peace. It doesn't bode well as we look in the mirror. 
And then eighthly, to experience peace, we need to set our minds on those things which are going to gain God's approval. It says, if there is anything worthy of praise. And these are things that, that God views as appropriate, valuable, worthwhile, worthy of exaltation. Not just what man views as praiseworthy, but what God views as praiseworthy. So that when we stand before him, we will hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That joy of the Lord is the reward of being a good and faithful servant. And like that is our eternal reward, that's also our reward in this life. That much of our joy comes from just knowing that God is pleased with the way in which we have conducted ourselves. I'm not talking about self-pride. We're not talking about self-righteousness. But we all know the misery of dealing with thinking that, that God is not pleased with us, that, that we have dishonored him, that we are far from him. I remember as a, a child, I looked up to my father a great deal. And one of the great motivations for me as a child to be obedient was I didn't want to disappoint my father. I respected him too much. I did not want to be viewed as a bad child in his, his eyes. One of the great rewards when no one else is patting us on the back, when no one else is praising us for what we have done, is to simply know that what we have done has pleased God the Father. That results in a life of peace. That results in a life of joy. That brings satisfaction. Well, those are the, the basic categories. And so that brings us to the logical and practical application, which is, well, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, the first thing that I would point out to you as we think about how do we do this, we need to keep in mind that the exhortation is to what we are to think about as opposed to what we are not to think about. It says, think on these things. Interestingly, it doesn't say, and don't think about these things. Simply says, think about these things. So I would submit to you that the first lesson is that if we fill our hearts and minds with good thoughts, they will supplant and displace bad or evil thoughts. So rather than to spend our time in trying to get away from our bad thoughts, let's spend our time in trying to create and establish good thoughts. Focus on what we should be as opposed to what we shouldn't be. Or to put it another way, think more about being righteous and less about our sinfulness. Aspire to that which is holy and just 
and good and center your focus on that. Trying to be more and more what we ought to be. And the more and more we are what we ought to be, the less we will be what we shouldn't be. So focus on the things that bring peace, these eight categories in life. Well, how do you do that? Well, this isn't rocket science, and I would say first and foremost, we should meditate on the scriptures. Read and memorize the scriptures. Again, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of God and stands away of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the uh, Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. If you just spend time in your word, it's going to bear fruit. It's going to produce an effect. It's going to change our lives. Change our lives. I would just encourage you at that point that the scripture says meditate upon these things. You know I encourage you to be reading the Bible through in a year. And uh, I certainly encourage Bible reading. But uh, have you ever found yourself, you know, you're reading the Bible and uh, you just get done with a, a chapter and you say to yourself, what did I just read? Because your mind has wandered. And you were thinking about something else as you were reading the scriptures. You were, you were reading, your eyes were going over it, but your thoughts were consumed with something else. That, that's, a, that's a real problem that we have of dealing with controlling our thoughts. They're like a, a runaway train. They keep us up at night. They keep us from being able to sleep. And we rehash and go over things in our mind, which is really what meditation is. All right? uh, one of the, the ways in which uh, you can uh, translate uh, the word to meditate is to chew the cud. To chew the cud. That means a lot to me as a farm boy. Uh, a cow has four stomachs. And what a cow does, it has a cud. Okay? That, that means there's this ball of grain and, uh, you know, uh, plant life and uh, hay and all this stuff and is wadded together and they just chew it constantly. And then they swallow it and it goes down in their one stomach and then they regurgitate it and bring it back up and they chew it some more. And they swallow it and it goes down to the second stomach and they regurgitate it and bring it back up and they chew it some more. That's really the imagery of meditation, chewing the cud, going over it and over it and over it again in your mind. Just uh, grinding on it, getting every bit of nutritional value from it you can get. All the juice in the Word of God, all the vitamins being absorbed into our bodies. So I would just say to you that in that sense, memorization is extremely helpful in helping us battle 
our thoughts. I tend to be a very introspective individual. And unfortunately, many times my thoughts start running away. And I personally have found, and this tends to be like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm laying in bed and thinking about things. And the only real way of me getting over that is going over Scripture in my mind. Forcing myself to memorize a portion of Scripture that I'm not that familiar with. And if I make myself be memorizing Scripture, I can't be thinking about this other thing. It takes every bit of energy, especially at my age now. I don't memorize Scripture nearly as well as I did when I was young. I have to go over and over and over again, and once I've memorized it, I've got to continually uh, review. It just doesn't stay with me. But as I memorize Scripture, as I'm looking at that Bible, and I'm saying that verse in my mind, and then I'll go to another room so I don't wake my wife up, and I start talking about that verse out loud in order to memorize it, I can't be thinking about other things. It can't happen. So I say, do you memorize Scripture? And then, secondly, be wise in what you memorize. What I mean by that is, the Scripture says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? And the answer is, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. So one of the things that we need to do is learn to memorize wisely. And what I mean by that is, I, I think about three categories that are helpful. First, those verses that are going to help you overcome a particular sin in your life. Uh, a verse that, you know, uh, if you're a procrastinator, go to the ant thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, ruler, provides her food in the harvest. The, the ant doesn't have anybody telling them what to do. But the ant works hard, and as a result, in the winter, has food. If you have a hard time getting up in the morning, uh, now, my, now my mind just went blank. See, I have a hard time memorizing anymore. Uh, uh, here it is. As the door turns upon its hinges... So doth a sluggard upon his bed. I love that one. As the door turns upon its hinges. You know, it just, a, a door never goes anywhere. It just, it just swings back and forth on its hinges. As a door uh, swings on its hinges, so doth a sluggard upon his bed. Just rolls over. <laughs> never gets up. All right? You don't want to do that. So think about verses that speak to particular areas. If you want to lose weight, you know, memorize verses about gluttony, whatever the case may be. But think about verses that speak to specific aspects of your life, uh, about sin. Think about verses that bring comfort, that speak of the Lord's help. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Lift up your eyes into the hills. From whence cometh your help? The help cometh from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You can see the psalmist going out of Jerusalem, just looking at the hills and uh, saying, who made those? God did. 
God watches over me. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The Lord will watch over. The Lord will protect. Memorize verses of, of comfort that tell you that you are under his care, that he loves you, he will nurture you, he will provide for you. And then I would also say, take time to memorize verses that are helpful in your study and in your uh, acquisition of Bible knowledge. There are certain verses that are helpful if you want to witness, gospel verses and so on, a lot of those things are in Embark. And those of you who are learning Embark, those are good verses to know. But, but one of the things that I've discovered, unfortunately, pretty late in life, I wish I would have started doing this earlier. But in order to think through a Bible, a book of the Bible, I found it very helpful to memorize the first verse in each chapter of the scripture. So, for example, Book of Romans, I memorized the first verse in every chapter of Romans so that I can think through what, what that chapter is about, what, what it says. It gives me direction. And so that's been my latest new addition to life is I'm working at memorizing the first verse in books of the Bible so that I can think through those verses, those books, and it will bring to mind what they are all about. I found that very helpful in keeping Ecclesiastes in my mind, what's going on as I memorize each of those, those verses, and then it becomes an impetus. Once I know those verses, then I wish I knew more verses, and then I memorize more of the passages and more of the verses from those chapters, and I just find that to be very helpful. And if you're doing that, you just can't be thinking about other things. And you don't have time for other things. And that can be healthy. Second, what can we do? Well, read good Christian literature. There's so much wonderful and inspiring literature out there. And I, for one, uh, love biographies. I always have. Uh, when I was younger, I used to, when I was a teen, I read a lot of sports biographies and people, uh, but Christian biographies, people that are worthy of imitation. We've had great theologians, pastors, missionaries, people who have dedicated their lives, reading their life stories can be extremely, extremely valuable. Some of them you read over and over again, especially if you're like me. Uh, for example, on Tuesday night, John Piper has written a lot of very short biographies. They're free, by the way, on uh, Olive Tree's Bible app, and that's free. And uh, one of the biographies he did is on... Spurgeon, and there have just been tons of biographies on Spurgeon, and I've read them all. But um, his uh, take is uh, Spurgeon's book entitled Preaching Through Adversity. 
preaching through adversity. It focuses on Spurgeon's life's trials. Many of you know he, he was a famous preacher. He died when he was only 57 years of age. Uh, he had a lot of physical problems. And from the time that he was 35 uh, on, from 35 to 57, he only preached about two-thirds of the time, if that, because of all the physical problems that he had and all the anguish that he experienced. Then he also had family problems. His, his wife had a lot of physical issues as well. And I won't go into all of his miseries, but in it, he talks about overcoming adversity, of how to deal with life's struggles. I found it to be very refreshing. I was so encouraged after the, reading that book. First of all, I recognized how good I had. And I was thankful that I wasn't experiencing those things that, that he went through. But then to see the spirit in which he took these things in stride and used them for the honor and glory of God. Spurgeon said, there's only one thing for which I am more thankful than my health. He said, and that is my affliction. It was the only thing he guarded God, that was the only thing that he saw as more valuable than his health, his affliction. For he said his affliction taught him so much more. Those kinds of thoughts are so rare. It's not what usually happens over the internet or across the kitchen table. So to spend time reading such people can be extremely helpful and give us peace. Another hint, uh, I am really going to be pushing reading. I think reading is tremendously Tremendously valuable. And if it's wearisome to read for you, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is <clears throat> don't just read one book at a time. Read three or four. And when I say that, I'm, I, I'm not picturing four books open at the same time and you're reading a page here and a page what I'm saying is, let's face it, you know, the scripture says in Ecclesiastes that uh, of the making of books there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. Uh, it does. It gets tiring, okay, and you get weary. And if you read an hour, an hour and a half, you know, you say, okay, I've read an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, I'm tired. Put that book down and pick up a different book, and it's refreshing. And you can read another hour and an hour and a half. If you're reading something different, if you're reading something that is uh, of a whole different subject, it's, it's renewal. 
I'd also encourage you to start with the weightier stuff first. You know, whatever's the best time of day for you. If you're a morning person, if you're an evening person, and I, and I know i talking to people that don't have the luxury that I do. You, you, you have a, a work schedule that you've got to be at work and you can't be reading. I get that. I get that. Uh, so I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Uh, I understand that completely. But when you can read, when you do have that opportunity, whatever the best time for you is, read the hardest stuff, the deepest stuff, the, the stuff that takes a lot of mental work. And as you get more tired and as you get more weary, then read the lighter stuff, the fluffy stuff, the stuff that's just encouraging and easy to take, you know, the candy, if you will, of what you are reading. Thirdly, we should engage in conversations that are going to be helpful to others. Think about what you say. Think about what you post. Think about how you are affecting someone else. What is going to be their response when they've just walked away from talking to you or they just walked away from the computer screen? Are they gonna be helped? Are they gonna be encouraged? Are they going to be strengthened? Are they going to be pointed to Christ? Are they going to be renewed in their spirit? Or are they going to be dejected, sad, irritable, angry, frustrated, whatever the characterization you want to be? So help us all to guard our thoughts by the thoughts we convey to others. Again, be discerning. Be discerning. Fourthly, we should involve ourselves in good, wholesome entertainment. Again, this is not a list of specific things. And it's not telling us what not to watch or what not to see, but it's obvious if we are thinking of that which is wholesome and pure and etc., etc., that we're thinking about these things, we don't have time for these other things. I'm not saying that we always have to have our nose in a book. I'm not saying that we have to be this super saint that we want to project a certain godliness. What I'm saying is we all know, without delineating a huge list of things, of those things which promote good thoughts and those things which promote bad thoughts and lust and disquietness and unsettledness. Think through what you're going to watch on TV. If you get up and you wish you could throw your shoe through the TV, it's probably not the best thing to have watched. If you go away angry and disquieted and upset with others, it's probably not the best thing to watch. And it may not have anything to do with sex. It may not have anything to do, but simply 
It isn't that which brings good, wholesome, Christ-like thoughts. Give yourself to that which is most valuable and you won't have time for these other things. You just won't. And the reward is peace and joy. Peace and joy. Don't rob yourself of the peace and joy that you can have in your life. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us to be a people who are filled with peace and joy as we guard our thoughts. Lord, help us to be disciplined in thinking rightly. Lord, give us the desire to spend time, to reflect, to allow your word to richly dwell within our hearts and lives, giving us peace and joy and a delight in who you are and what you're doing, a real genuine consideration and care for our brother and sister in Christ, giving us an appreciation for one another encouraging one another, helping one another. Help us with our thoughts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.